Hello and welcome to Garage Lore. I'm your host, Tim Downing, and with me as always, Jeff Austria. How's it going? Hey, welcome back everyone. Welcome back. Episode three. Yeah, we're at number three. We made it. So how have you been? best things in life come in threes. I I don't know if that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Three strikes, you're out. Well, I was thinking Rocky three. All right. (laughs) I don't. I don't know if that's well, if one standalone movie. <laughs> wait, Rock. When you say Rocky Three, you mean the num- Rocky Three as in the movie three, the third one in the movie, or like? Yeah, the first I don't know. Movies? I don't know. If, well, I would argue that the first three movies are like the best three movies, but, but you can't well, discount I, four. So, uh, if we're gonna go into this tangent, I will say that four is like five music videos rolled into one movie i appreciate the 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 cold war you know ussr america aspect of rocky four i appreciate it but objectively speaking rocky four is like five music videos <laughs> that's fair. but you know what we should we should save that for another uh podcast episode because i am very passionate about the uh the rocky movies i watched. i will say people hate on rocky five a bit more than it deserves. I've not seen five. I've seen the first four, and I saw them for the first time probably like two years ago. Something like mm. that. Wait, that was your first time watching them? Yeah. Interesting, interesting. Man, maybe we should have had Rocky on the agenda for today's podcast episode, but we do not. We'll, we'll save that for, we'll save uh, for another time. But anyway, yeah, yeah. how have you, how have you been? How's the house going? I've been good, man. I've been good. Uh, still getting settled into the new place. Uh, I have to get things sorted with my Nikkor gas. They want to do like a meter exchange. And I don't know what that means. And I'm going to find out because I scheduled an appointment for it. Uh, I'm assuming they're going to look at my meter and do something. But uh, yeah, man, that's just what I've been up to. Meter exchange stuff and <laughs> uh, unboxing more of my stuff from my parents' place. Finding old Super Nintendo games like... Bill Lambeer's combat basketball that I forgot that I owned. Uh, otherwise, it's been good, man. It's been good. How have you been? Been doing all right. Not much different from the usual. Just hanging out, work, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What you playing these days? Uh, I kind of dabble in a lot of things. Um, I got on that cookie clicker train, I guess. But I'm not really playing mm-hmm. it more so. It's just running all the time in the background, you know. Um, what is Cookie Clicker? Because you're not the only the only friend I have who's been playing that. Um, Jeff, do you like numbers? Numbers are great, sure. Do you like it when the numbers go up? Uh, it depends on the context, but generally, yeah. You know, looking at my bank account, I generally like when numbers go up. Yeah. Well, that's what Cookie Clicker is. You click, and then the numbers go up. But also, the game will click for you. What? What? So it just plays itself? Yes. And then you can you can then spend those numbers, those points, to then buy things to make it click even more. And click oh, even faster. Okay. So the numbers just keep going up even more. So what number? What's the last number you saw in Cookie Clicker then? Oh, it's just constant. I'm in the trillion. Oh gosh. It, it keeps, it's, the unit of measurement is cookies. 
Okay. I'm in. I'm currently sitting at over one trillion cookies. That's a lot of cookies. Yeah. Are there different types of cookies in Cookie Clicker? Um, Are they all chocolate chip? It's a bit of a handful of different things. I don't know all of them off the top of my head. But there's a variety. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. I'm still not sure I understand <laughs> what Cookie Clicker is, so you'll have to show me after this. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to show you. Um, but yeah, other than that, I've been kind of dabbling in a few things. I've poked around in... Um, the Forgotten City earlier in the week. Um, yeah, I watched you play some of that. Yeah, it's 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 pretty cool. Like it's expanding more and more. The more I've played it, the more I play it. Um, just seeing for context, that game is um, was originally based off of a Skyrim mod uh, that they decided to make its own standalone game. So it's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this kind of ties in with uh, how we were talking about time loop games and all yeah, that a while it's, back. It's also a time loop game, so yeah. So it's like uh, twelve minutes in that regard. So, and it also came out this year. So, time loops are hot so this you... year. <laughs> Have you finished Forgotten City? Uh, not yet. Okay. Okay. So uh, that that could be its own separate topic, but once I, I'd rather revisit that once I have the full game finished so i can okay, okay i don't know if i want to do a full spoiler of it or what but yeah i'd be interested to see you play more of that because what i saw was pretty uh, interesting yeah it's it kind of gets even more interesting the more i've played it um i was already hooked on it right from the like from the get-go but it um you know it's just one of those things i just spending more time in it um you'll have to forgive me if this is spoilers but like what's the i believe the deal is that you can't kill anyone or people can't die so the game takes place in like a in the the character goes into the past the player character goes into the past they end up in what they're calling the forgotten city um it's like a roman era like ancient roman era uh city but it's inside like a large cavern i guess and there is this thing they call the golden rule and that's basically it's it's a rule set in place that they're not entirely sure if it's you know a man-made rule or a rule invented by the gods or whatever where it's the sins of one affect everyone is what they're saying so basically if one person you know commits a crime then everyone has to pay for the crime so they're basically like forced to not do any crime or anything so things like murder theft that kind of thing okay and so there's an interesting like uh mystery narrative around that whole thing as well as you know figuring out what constitutes as a, a sin or whatever okay okay yeah we'll have to We'll have to delve into that. I was I was very fascinated watching you play it. Yeah, and I, I'll be careful not to say too much, just in case there were spoilers that you know anyone listening to this might not want to hear. Yeah, it's definitely where it's it's a game that is highly rated by like numerous people and even like writer writing uh, guilds or whatever you want to call them. Um, so yeah, it's definitely worth checking out if you're interested in like a narrative game. Um, uh huh. 
We'll I will note that I've been playing, uh, you know, I hooked up my GameCube and I've played uh, Resident Evil 3, the remake of it, but I've never finished OG Resident Evil 3, so I'm trying to power through that on GameCube. And it's fascinating that they captured a lot of the original set pieces, but also they didn't in some ways. I it's 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 weird. I'm I'm very passionate about Resident Evil 3, but I think the the remake of 2 captured the essence of 2 really well, whereas I feel like the remake of 3 going back and playing OG 3, it's like they captured the main beats but also changed a lot of it as well. Would you say they changed it for the better or just different? I would say it's I would say Resident Evil 3 Remake leans into the action aspect of the series a little too hard, whereas I feel like Resident Evil 2 Remake captured a perfect balance. Okay. Because I've heard one um, one that's uh, RE2 Remake came out that, like, that was highly rated, and then when 3 came out, it was, like, a little less so. I think that's probably... yeah. Less content, and at the same time, uh, it just leans into some of the stuff about the RE series that I have grievances with, like quick time events that don't really need to be quick time events, stuff like that. Little, little, little too uh, action oriented. Whereas two found the perfect balance. Okay, I still have not played any of any Resident Evil game. So. Oh man, we need to get you on board the bandwagon. Yeah, I've had Resident Evil 2 Remake for a bit, but I just haven't started. You own anything. the game? Yeah. Oh man, well, I'll have, I'll, you'll have to load it up sometime. I'll guide you through it. <laughs> or maybe I won't say anything and I'll see, uh, I'll let you have the, the pure experience. Yeah. I've. It's funny you mention that because I've also been playing another game that um, is a little different. But it's similar to uh, The Forgotten City in that it's a sort of mystery game, mystery puzzle game. I've been playing um, uh, the Mist remake that just came out this past week or two, two weeks ago, something like that. I forget. Um, oh, oh, yeah. I was watching you uh, play a, a bit of that. Uh, when did it originally come out? Do you know? The original game came out in 1993, I think. And I've, mm-hmm. I think... I played a little bit of it back then. Probably not like immediately after it came out, but sometime in my childhood. And I don't remember anything about it other than it being pretty obscure and over my head at the time, at least. How are you liking the game? Because I think when you were streaming it, I was bouncing between streams and I, I didn't. I might not have caught all of what you were doing. Are you enjoying it? Yeah, but it's, it's still the same thing where it's like you you're pressing buttons you're opening boxes or whatever you're just doing random things and somehow it's interconnected in some way and it's it's really weird it's like um did you ever play the game the witness it sounds really familiar but i don't think i have played it now so it's it's similar in concept in that it's like you're on a big island and it's just full of puzzles and they don't really have any like real world like it doesn't make sense if in like the real world like if that happened or if that existed so it's like these weird things where it's like um 
I don't know, there's like a switchboard of of random little it's clearly like this is a designed for being a puzzle but it's also set in this weird island so it's like it doesn't make sense logically like for a real world setting but it's just interesting because <laughs> it it's it doesn't give you any like guidance really is it frustrating in that aspect not really because it's it's okay. also like it's i thought it would be um a bit too um complex like too complex like too like too many variables to keep track of while you're doing things but for the most part it's pretty like straightforward because like there's only a handful of things you can do in a world because you the the game of mist you kind of bounce around different eras in on the island or a different island i'm not sure um so it's like different Are a little bit of time i i want to say i'm like at least halfway okay, okay it's not a super long game from what i can tell has it stood the test of time would you say um like it plays just fine like especially this okay. remake and it looks looks fine too like it they've definitely updated a lot i don't know what i think they remade all of the the visuals of it but the the one thing is like the music in the game is still clearly like from that era so it's kind of funny it's got that like weird like industrial sounding music of the 90s or whatever that you'd hear in a lot of old pc games Mm -hmm. before we uh we roll off of what we've been playing i should update our listeners that we still have not seen the two new ghosts from phasmophobia gorio and myling yeah so that that hunt still continues for the two elusive new ghosts or maybe not elusive but we just had rotten luck with finding them or getting them to spawn at least yeah i I think so that saga continues i think due to the nature of how that works it's the more ghosts to add the harder it's going to be to find the new ones so Mm -hmm. because as they add and they might have done a thing where like they spawned more often when they immediately got released but maybe we missed that window it's yeah it's possible i don't know i haven't read Mm -hmm. into that or anything Mm -hmm. well tim we let's uh go into our first topic here since you and i are both game devs i wanted to get the discussion going on uh do you feel like working from home has improved our efficiency in in terms of our day-to-day responsibilities and working for our respective studios um i work on a console game and one of the things that mm-hmm. happened when i when we started working from home is we were given the option of bringing home our equipment i mean that's that option is still always on the table though but mm-hmm. i never brought any equipment home um and so what i do is i remote i remote into my workstation at work at the office and so that's been like its own like um struggle i guess of doing any kind of work with the console uh because working with a console you we can't connect directly to the console we have to go through a separate tool uh on in windows to do that so it's like you're jump i'm remoting into my workstation and then from my workstation remoting into the console so it's it's not so there's going to be like latency issues there 
So that's that's kind of been one problem I've been having. Um, mm-hmm. But for the most part, like um, for me personally, just having um, having like the same work hours, but um, without the commute is great because I don't have to. Yes, it's very easy to just like just start work and stop work at the same like at regular at the same hours or whatever that I normally would and then without even getting up I can just move on to whatever else I want to do outside of work so mm-hmm. and it's also it also feels good not to pay that commute fee because yeah. you know you're you're a little closer to the city Tim so you but for me I'm taking the metro train that cost is like $200 a month for the monthly pass. Yeah. So the fact that I don't have to make that commute, it almost feels like I got a raise without actually getting a raise. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's such a great feeling. But for me, and, you know, working from home versus working from the office, it's like there's going to be different types of distractions. Because, you know, working from the office, you get into these weird, like, scenarios where so-and-so brought donuts and they're in the kitchen and you walk to the kitchen and all of a sudden you're chatting up other people for like 15 minutes. Whereas here it's like, all right, let me go walk my dog. And maybe that's a different type of distraction. But uh, I would argue that, uh, you know, I can't, I can't quantify whether, you know, I'm more efficient, but I definitely feel better uh, working from home. And part of that is because, uh, you know, being a QA lead, in the, I have the responsibilities of a lead, which means sometimes that entails being in a lot of meetings and there are days where I just have nothing but meetings and maybe a few hours of actual keyboard time to actually get stuff done. So it feels good to me where I can have those types of days where I have a full day where my calendar is blocked out with meetings and I don't have to feel a little salty that I made a one hour commute to the office just to have meetings, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. It seems like you get a lot of meetings, Tim. Um, I have like a few like shorter meeting. Like I have a short daily meeting every morning, and then we'll have a couple meetings spread throughout the week, like every week. But then there's the occasional meeting for like a new sprint or something where there's like some feature that I'm on that I'll be involved in but otherwise like at least for myself I haven't I'm not in too too many meetings you know Mm -hmm. what were you going to say before I interrupted you um right uh yeah so yeah as you were mentioning like there's it's kind of different for the different types of downtime and distractions and stuff um there's there's certainly less of that um aspect of being able to just walk over to someone's desk and have a chat about something whether it's work related or not and even when it's work related it's like there's less of that but i think i think it's like a bigger um problem for people like in like designers or something or artists where they have to where they're trying to ask for feedback so they have to basically call up someone make sure they're the they're present they're at their desk or something at the time and then also you know call them and everything where mm. like in person you just walk over or shoot them a message just say hey come over and they'll come walk over or whatever but 
I think for the most part, it's it's not it's not too different. Yeah, I think sense. if there's a silver lining to this whole, what it's been like a year and a half. I vaguely was it also March for you also where you started where you were, you know, your company also started working from home. It's funny, March twenty twenty. It's funny you say that because I remember exact the exact day was March twelfth. So oh. it's exactly a year and a half for me. Oh my goodness! All right, so well, well then, well time for that, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, after a year and a half of this, I guess the, there's a silver lining of, you know, the game industry realizing that, you know, every department can, you know, uh, make use of working from home. It's possible for, you know, this to be a thing. Yeah, and it's it comes with its own struggles, just like even working in, in an office. But, you know, there's it's it's going to affect people in different ways. So. Yeah, the it's funny you bring that up because I know, you know, I feel good working from home, but I know that there are uh, some of my peers who really want to get back to the office just because of what their, you know, home situation is. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna, you know, say any specific examples, but sometimes people are in a family situation that they they use work to be away from, or you know, maybe like you have kids that you. You know, uh, have kids are super noisy. <laughs> yeah, you're trying to be in a in a meeting, and your kids are running running around in the Zoom call. You know, that's that's a little uh, inconvenient. So, uh, you know, I I don't take for granted that you know being single and you know having my space to myself. You know, my situation is different, and I'm I'm going to feel differently about working from home as opposed to someone who is in a, a family situation. And that's going to make them feel a little different working from home. Yeah, I th I think for myself, like it, it was um, so in my studio, we already had a work from home policy where people are allowed to work from home, but, you know, not like an everyday situation for most people because they wanted people in the office or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's kind of like how the whole thing started off was they're like, well, as I said, a year and a half ago, they, they were like, let's give this a test run. I think it was on a Wednesday they told us, they're like, we'll give this a test run on Thursday. Just see, like, have as many people in the office work from home. And then we'll see how that goes. And then Friday we'll commit to everyone working from home and then go from there. But then what happened was they're like, once we did that on Thursday, they're like, yeah, let's just, this worked perfectly fine. Let's just going forward everyone just worked from home because <laughs> i think it's hard to remember like but right when all the like all this pandemic started was like there was still so much unknown for you know what right. was what was going on so a lot of people some people were like yeah this is only going to last for a short while like a few weeks or months or whatever and some people were like going into this like for the long haul or whatever so fortunately like for my uh my company like they were just we were already prepared in advance in that we're already used to having people work from home and everything so mm -hmm. so if given the option tim would you stick to work from home forever uh probably mm. not i don't know because there's definitely it's an intriguing question isn't it yeah there's definitely value to you know being in person but also like having the option of just working from home even like half of the week or something is far better 
than none at all. I would like to see a hybrid yeah. type of deal. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that's what a lot of a lot of companies are aiming to do eventually once once people start once they start like opening up offices and everything. Mm-hmm. I guess what it all boils down to for me is I like spending time with my dog. Yeah, that's what it yeah, all I think boils a lot, down to. I think to. a lot of people like appreciate just being able to stay at home and work from home because it they can they can do little things on the side outside of work. Like I can do chores or, or like here and there while like throughout the workday while I'm still working and everything. Just kind of because even at the office, people would just take a moment to step away from work and can do that while also doing something productive at home like it's the same same deal here's my ideal scenario tim is that you know when things get back to quote unquote normal you know i would like for some type of hybrid scenario where you know i look at my upcoming outlook calendar and i say to my my manager hey you know this tuesday i'm going to have six different meetings there's like a stand-ups there's a one-on-ones. Can I just work from home on this day? And, you know, I would like for, for me to have that option just to say, I'm going to have nothing but meetings anyway. Just let me, we've, we've seen that that can be done virtually on Zoom. You, you know, let, let me do that. That's, that's my dream scenario. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much like what we're, I think they're trying to plan for, for where I work, where they're just like, we're gonna have a, a couple days um, out like remote, and for those days, that'll be where they try to prioritize meetings and stuff like that. I mean, there there'll be some meetings where they they'll benefit from being in person, but um, for a lot of that stuff, like one on ones and stand ups and stuff, stuff that doesn't really require much um, outside assistance other than just physically being present. That those can be done remotely. I will say that working from home has also not just helped me save money in terms of the commute, but helped me save money in terms of not buying lunches Yeah, in all these places that are right by the office, especially the McDonald's that's within walking distance <laughs> of my particular office. Saving money. Yeah. Feels good. It, it's a little different because now, now that I'm at home, I'm, my electric bill has gone up because I'm using electricity all, all day versus oh, when, yeah. I was, when I was at the office, it wasn't using as much. So there's that. I guess but, there is that trade-off. But it's it's like minimal compared to, you know, everything else. So You know what the best part is of staying at home and working from home, Tim, is that I can sit at my computer and watch Steve from Blue's Clues tell me that he's never forgotten me. Did you see this on uh, Twitter? Yeah, I did. I don't know the full context of of that beyond just the video existing, and I've seen. I watched the video, but I'm like, I don't fully understand the context. You know what's weird? I don't think there was a context. I don't think this was to promote a new season of Blue's Clues. I don't think Steve was trying to promote anything new he had going on. I think they just made this content for. Steve from Blue's Clues just to let us know he's he misses us I guess so I guess that leaves the question did this make you cry Tim did you tear up a bit seeing Steve reach out to us no because he didn't write me a letter personally or anything (laughs) he wanted a personal letter (laughs) 
No. I, yeah, I, for context, for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, there was this thing. I saw it on Twitter. I, it might be on YouTube also, where the actor who played Steve from Blue's Clues, he had like a, a two-minute video where he talked about when he left the show and how he, you know, story-wise, he left for college. But he wanted us to know that he never forgot us. And, uh, you know, he's proud of all we've accomplished. And, you know, back when we were kids, it was about finding clues. But now it's about student loans and families and jobs. And he's proud of how far we've come. And it was this... Listen, I saw some people on YouTube tearing up. There, there was people posting reaction videos, grown men crying about Steve from Blue's Clues having this heartfelt, heart-to-heart moment with us. But my thing is, like, Blue's Clues was a little... I, I was a little too grown up by the time Blue's Clues was at its peak. I, I would feel this way if uh, Lunette from Big Comfy Couch had made the same video. <laughs> I was a Big Comfy Couch guy. If the cast from Zoom gave me this gave me this message, I might tear up. But Steve from Blue's Clues, I'd, I'm sorry, I didn't feel it. I might have been a little too old for uh, Blue's Clues. Yeah, same. That was, it was, I want to say that was around the time when um, Nick Jr., I think. Yeah, was that when Nick Jr. started? I feel like it. I remember it being a Nick Jr. thing. Like that, I mean, like uh, Nick Jr. being, like this show was kind of the start of that whole Nick Jr. block or whatever they called it. You might be correct. I'm, I'm, I it's remember... possible that it existed prior to... Nick Jr. existed prior to Blue's Clues, but I, I want to say that was kind of like one of the first things. Um, so I didn't like. I remember watching stuff from that era, but I, I couldn't tell you anything about it beyond just Blue's Clues. And I remember if Steve from Blue's Clues didn't make you tear up, which of your childhood characters or heroes would get that from you? If they made a similar video to this, um. There wasn't really anyone that was like that, I guess. No, nothing like that, influ- nothing influential, really. Um, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking, like, if they drew Arthur as a grown-up and a dad now, and they <laughs> had him do something similar to this, I'd tear up a bit. I'd tear up seeing Arthur, like, with his own kids and telling us how proud he is and Pal is a bigger dog. His dog was named Pal? You don't remember Pal from Arthur? May, am I misremembering Pal? I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying I don't remember. <laughs> uh, Arthur, Arthur was was my thing. I yeah, I watched I, it, but I, I, again, I don't. I just this was stuff like way back when, so I don't remember it really. Like I remember, uh, yeah, big comfy couch. I would I would tear up for Lunette holding Molly the doll, telling us this same message. The cast from Zoom. I would tear up for them. Optimus Prime from Beast Wars for some reason. I, <laughs> he's not. He's, I wouldn't really classify him as a kids show, but I'd tear up for Gorilla Optimus Prime telling me he's proud of me. Try to. I'm trying. To, I'm blanking on what else. Like had a had a profound like footprint on my childhood, but I think I got the big ones. Yeah. Lamb Chops Playhouse. The 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 '90s Ninja Turtles in full costume. <laughs> <laughs> Like, uh, are you talking about like the live action or whatever? Yeah, the live action Ninja Turtles in full costume. I never watched that really. I don't think I did. The wait a minute, did you watch the movie at least? Yeah, I've seen the movies, but I I never saw. I don't think I've seen the show that was that was 
based off it or whatever. Uh, they had uh, the, the, the Lady Ninja Turtle in that one, and they teamed up with the uh, Power Rangers for one episode, which was weird. Even as a kid, I recognized that was a weird episode. Yeah. I mean, cross- Those are the crossovers are always weird, especially when they they're, they take place in different universes or whatever, where they have no business being in the same or whatever. Oh, uh, you know what? I as long as we're on that train, I would I would tear up for Tommy from the Power Rangers making this same video. Huh? Yeah. A more phenomenal message to the youngsters. Yeah, I did. I watched a lot of like um, Nickelodeon cartoons when I was a kid, like uh, Rocco's Modern Life and Rugrats, that kind of stuff. So there isn't really any we're, any strong attachment to even those characters or whatever. Maybe I'm too emotional. Maybe that's what we're taking away from this conversation, that Optimus Prime would make me cry. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think think part of it is just, it's been so long since I've seen any of that, and I had no, like, emotional attachment to them, especially now, since it's been so long. Mm -hmm. You know who I would personally tear up for is The Undertaker and Kane telling me that they're proud of me. (laughs) which leads us to our next topic. And I know, you know, I know, Tim, that you're not a big wrestling fan, so I've kind of avoided, you know, making this a discussion topic. But I feel like there's enough going on in the world of wrestling that, you know, any of our listeners who who might be into it might be fascinated to hear this discussion. And I'll try to, I'll do my best to guide you with what's going on on this, Tim, is that, is it possible that pro wrestling is becoming good again? And before we dive into it, Tim... What is the last thing you remember? What is the most recent thing you remember about pro wrestling? Um, that uh, there was the, was it Roman Reigns taking over for Undertaker or something? They had a match at WrestleMania. And I think I was, I was joking with you that it'd be cool if Roman Reigns took Undertaker's powers <laughs> and just started wearing purple gloves. And I think there was this subreddit where they were discussing the same thing. It was it was a goof. It didn't actually happen, but they did have a match. But other than but at that, least you're yeah, familiar with I'm Roman familiar Reigns, with like so that's a good like highlights here and there. But I haven't actually watched wrestling really since like the '90s, like mid '90s, late '90s, something like that. And okay. it's funny you mentioned Undertaker and King, but those two were the, like the only two that I really remember from that. like from that era. There's definitely like a number of wrestlers. But it was definitely those two okay. that stand out to me. So you're you're at least familiar with some of the bigger names, yeah. But you might not know like storylines. But you were no. If I were to say, I didn't even then. Like, like if I were to say Kenny Omega, you are vaguely familiar that he exists yeah. as a yeah. wrestler, right? Yeah. What if I were to say CM Punk? Are you aware of his existence? Yes. Or I don't know anything a, okay. about him other than. It's a person. I don't even know what he looks like, to be honest. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Well, what's going on in wrestling right now is that there's two big promotions. WWE, which is what I'm assuming you're the one you're familiar with, and AEW, All Elite Wrestling, which started up maybe two, three years ago when it officially became a full-on promotion. And it was... It started off kind of... You know, not 
let's just say it wasn't it didn't feel like a true rivalry just yet yeah it felt it was like, like the when it first started of wwe yeah wwe felt like such a juggernaut at the time that it felt like well there's no way aew you know they might have their audience but there's no way aew is going to catch up with wwe but before we dive too far into that in what's been going on lately we need to discuss cm punk specifically which is i would say he's been around maybe like two decades now but the most significant moment was right around 2011 when he made a promo which kind of blurred the lines of reality versus the fictional storytelling that WWE does because he had a scathing promo where he kind of aired his grievances with WWE in such a way that it kind of mirrored the audience's grievances with WWE and since then, CM Punk has been kind of this... Pe- people recognize him as the promo guy. He's great on the microphone, and he's... You know, he's a great wrestler as well. But he's this commodity, you know. He's he's a guy you would want in your wrestling promotion. And right around 2014, he just stopped showing up to WWE because he got so fed up with stuff going on backstage and how he had been treated and all that. And that was such a great moment because that too mirrored the way that the fans were getting kind of sick with WWE. And that happened back in 2014 or 2013. I might be mixing up the years here a bit, but right around that time. And only just recently has he joined AEW, the rival promotion. And now we are getting to a point where it finally feels like WWE has legitimate competition. And so we're getting into this weird, is WWE actually going to change how they do things? And at the same time, there's talent going from WWE to AEW. And it's kind of wild right now. And, and, you know, from my perspective, I feel like for a while, WWE has become not even... From what I've understood, it's just like, aside from just... recently with losing talent it's just kind of gotten stale because like you said there's no they had no uh competition really because i remember right even i remember when um back in the like the 90s from when i was watching there was wwf and then was it wcw the other one yes yeah so there was at least some competition there and then all the other smaller stuff outside of that as well so at least they had competition there but it seems like for the past 10 years or so it's like no competition so they're kind of getting stale and everything and people are you still have fans that are still sticking with it but it's like you know right the and what, how does the saying go competition breeds quality I, i'm i'm probably butchering something, that phrase, yeah, something but like that like it's it's good to have competing entities because it it drives you to be better but when wwe has no such competition you know they they become stale and predictable and they they're in this phase where it's almost become like a variety show loosely based on wrestling <laughs> uh, where we have like dudes getting set on fire who have mystical fiend powers and it's it's become it becomes like a disjointed program of six different six different storylines happening at once 
And there's stories about how to become a WWE writer, you don't necessarily need to have a wrestling background. I don't know how valid this is, but I think it's it's out there on the internet that like they have writers from different backgrounds of like Disney Channel or whatever. And that's wild. And I think you kind of see that in the product where they have one storyline that feels very childish and then we go back to what's going on with Roman Reigns, who feels like he's in a more serious, you know, wrestling uh, storyline. Whereas AEW feels like a more cohesive product. <laughs> and CM Punk making the jump to AEW kind of cements them as more legitimate competition along with, you know, you might, Tim, you might not know Adam Cole, but he, he has a big Twitch following. And, you know, that's a different side story altogether where WWE did not want their talent to have their own Twitch channels or they wanted it to be under the WWE umbrella. Right. And they, that caused they a big... to have, like, their own, basically their own brand outside of wrestling. Right. And it's it's bogus because, like, for some of these talent, that's their, that was their side hustle, you know, using their Twitch hustle, uh, their, their Twitch channel, you know? So that... I will just say that I hope this momentum continues for AEW, even though without getting too into the weeds here, I think AEW still feels a little like goofy with some of the storylines they're doing. There's still that that indie wrestling goofiness that I wish they, they'd cleanse themselves of. But, <laughs> you know, getting some of these names like Adam Cole, CM Punk, uh, Brian Danielson, they, they got like the big show and Mark Henry, but those guys are like doing commentary. Tim, if you have been uh, not following wrestling just because of how stale and predictable it's been, I will say that maybe this is the time to get back on board. Uh, no. I'm just going to... Hard pass. Hard pass. Well, at least maybe maybe I'll get you a Roman Reigns t-shirt and call it a day, right? <laughs> or maybe we'll, I'll get you a pack of Magic the Gathering... Now that I'm an expert on the matter, I'm actually not, but you've been teaching me a lot about it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know where this came from, but I don't, I don't know if it was just some, just in past some conversation in passing where it was like, Hey, I play magic or whatever. And then you think you were telling me about how someone you knew has told you a little bit about it, but that's about it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I finally got around to actually teach Jeff how to play. Uh, for context, I've been... I started playing sometime in... I want to say it was the late 90s. That's where I f first started playing. Um, and then, like most people with hobbies, they kind of fall off them for a little bit, and they might return or whatever. And so that kind of happens to a lot of people who play Magic. Um, so I kind of played it on and off since and it wasn't until maybe like five or so years ago where I actually got back into it like much more uh, than I had in the past and I think part of that is just having disposable income to spend on the hobby you know so yeah now we're talking yeah having the time and money to do things to you know dedicate to your hobbies is kind of important if you want to keep do like taking part in that hobby um, yeah I kind of I decided to teach Jeff. He was up for it. And so. for for context, Tim, you are not the first person who has tried to teach me magic. I went to an art school 
and working across uh, you know various game dev studios, you come across people who are passionate about Magic the Gathering. Yeah. I have friends who have boxes upon boxes of these cards, and uh, different people have tried to teach me, uh, and they've shown me about you have to have a land card and you have to use that to get mana, and it was always over my head. I I'm familiar with the rules of base set Pokemon just because I had the Game Boy game. And I, I kept looking for ways that it was similar, but it's not really all that similar. So I yeah, always kind of, really. I never did the deep dive. I mean, there's some very basic concepts that are the same. Like you have your deck, you have, you're drawing cards, you have a hand, that kind of thing. But that's kind of like, that's kind of like basics for pretty much any card game for the most part. There might be some outliers, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's, that's kind of it. Um, yeah, like, I decided to take the approach of um, breaking down a lot of the complexities of magic, like the what a card is and all the different types of cards, like the different card types, as well as um, how the turn, how a single turn takes place and all the things that are involved there. And as you saw, like it can get pretty complex just from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you actually like the thing that really helps solidify things is once you actually start playing you realize it's a lot easier than you than you would think it's um, there's a ton of complexity but that only comes when it's needed so like yeah for for context for people at home we've been doing this on tabletop simulator yeah and I, I was referencing like this uh, flow chart of like beginning phase, pre-combat main phase, and I was trying to wrap my head around what this flowchart was telling me, and it felt overwhelming. Yeah. But Tim, when you and I actually got into the flow of a, an actual game, I was like, "Hey, this is not so bad." Yeah, it's super. It's it's pretty simple to play out a turn because a, a lot of that's a lot of those charts will explain will basically list every possibility that you could do in a turn versus what a normal turn will look like is maybe you'll play like one or two cards and then do one or two other things and that's about it so it's it's showing you the full it's showing you the full scope of things uh, up front just so you can kind of see the complexity and then i play in an actual game of where you're not going to see all that complexity so it helps Mm -hmm. um i have not built my own deck yet yeah tim what are what are your five tips for a beginner going into this, knowing very little, building my first deck. Um, so there's a ton of things that go into building deck. Okay. Um, one, you'll want to know what type of what the format is that you're building a deck for. Um, generally speaking, we're talking constructed, which is like a sixty card thing. So you'll want to have a deck that's sixty cards. Um, there's also restrictions where you can only have four copies of a card. So understanding like the basic like rules of what you c- can put into your deck is important. Um, but also like the strategy of building a deck is that there's you kind of have to figure out you have to know what your uh, like how you want your deck to play and what the goal of the deck is. So. like the strategy and everything so for example there's i would say like three big archetypes for 
uh, for what a deck would be. There's aggressive, um, there's mid-range, and then there's control. Those are like the three like very boilerplate, like basic uh, deck types. And then from there, there's like, you know, dozens of different strategies among those, you know, three basic deck types. So, and then you can always mix and match. So there's like a ton of, a ton of depth just for building a deck. Um, so like one of the... What if I were to tell you that I'm at a phase right now where I'm still learning the game. Yeah. I understand how to use a land card and tap the land card to get mana. I understand playing creatures and I understand most instances so far that I've seen. I don't know that I want to delve into sorceries, enchantments, and planeswalkers. What color deck does sounds right for me at this phase? Uh, green. is Green. I will say this, that green or I guess red as well are both like they're generally pretty straightforward because right i'm looking for plain vanilla you know what i mean i want to tap land cards and i want creatures to do stuff that's yeah that's that's, my mindset right now yeah green and green is very heavy on just playing creatures and a creature's attack and that's about it i mean they there's a ton of depth there too that you can get into but it's like the most straightforward um and then there's red which is like the more aggressive version of green but not as powerful like the creatures are a little weaker generally um okay but it's more aggressive in that it it's the um the costs to play the cards will be less so they're weaker but they're you're going to be able to play more of them quicker so what colors do you normally go with or like what's your preferred uh deck composed of um i play a lot of black I also play a lot of red, um, both individually and together. And then I also like playing those two with white. So I'll sometimes play three colors. I'll play five colors, whatever. I, I, I play pretty much every color combination I will uh, that exists. So I, like, but my, I guess for to rank them by color, by my preferred colors, I would say black, red, white, green, and blue. But that doesn't okay. mean like, I think that when I say that, that is those card, those colors individually. But when you combine them in different ways, they play a little differently. So sometimes I like, I like blue and when it's combined with red and black or with green and black, for instance, because it, it feels different than just blue by itself, if that makes sense. I will say that... Uh... You know, back, way back when, you know, I had previous friends try to explain Magic the Gathering to me, I had one buddy tell me how Jace the Mind Sculptor was a really good card, and I always had, had it in the back of my mind. All right, if I ever get into Magic, Jace is the guy to go with. Yeah. And now I'm, I'm, I appreciate you, Tim, explaining to me what he actually does, so now I can look at his card and say, okay, that's, that's why, because you'll have your opponent run out of cards, and that's yeah. one way to win the game. Yeah. And even if you look like even like experienced players will look at a card and say, oh, that card's trash. But when you actually fully understand like the depths of what you could do with a card, like it kind of changes your perspective of it. Um, Even someone like myself, that's like being able to evaluate a card is not something I'm great at. Um, It's kind of it kind of comes with experience of just 
looking at a card and like for instance um in our game earlier uh there was that card wild mongrel and oh my gosh and looking at that it's, it's very like uh very straightforward pretty simple card that it doesn't seem all that strong at all but once you understand how it works and you have someone who understands it well they <laughs> it's actually a strong card so Speaking of looking at cards, for the context of the listeners at home, Tim and I, we've had two sessions of him teaching me Magic the Gathering. And so we, we're going to have like a pop quiz right now where Tim has sent me an image of five uh, Magic cards. These were, my, well, for context, these were on. cards that were printed in the very first set called the Alpha Set. Um, okay. This is what they called um, a cycle, meaning they have um some kind of thematic or mechanical uh i guess uh relevance to each other so the actual jeff if you want to look look at that actual image and yep i got it up card read off the card names sure and again for the listeners at home i'm still learning magic the gathering and my well, what's the goal here tim i'm going to rank them how do you, what do you want me to so, uh, i'll read them off and rank them yeah i want you to read off the names okay and then you can then read off what they do or what they actually are and and we'll i'll i'll give my opinion on what i believe is the most useful or best ones of the group yeah yeah all right so first off this is my first time seeing this image i have not studied what these cards uh, do previously. So I'm learning about these for the first time. First off, it looks like a white mana card, Healing Salve. He is an instant, and he says, choose one, target player gains three life, prevent the next three damage that would be dealt to target creature or player this turn. Interesting. Why would you give three life to a target player? Well, okay, we'll we'll put that on the back burner. We'll look at the next one. A blue mana, that is Ancestral Recall, which is an instant. Target player draws three cards. <clears throat> that seems like it would be useful if you're trying to get your opponent to run out of cards. Next one is a black mana, Dark Ritual. Instant, add three black mana to your mana pool. Interesting. Red mana, Lightning Bolt, which is an instant. Lightning Bolt deals three damage to any target. That seems very straightforward, but let's go on. Green mana, Giant Growth, which is an instant. Target creature gets plus three, plus three until end of turn. Interesting. Well. So for the listeners, this is called, this is, I don't know if this was official or not, but it's referred to as the boon cycle boon cycle boon b-o-o-n so ancestral recall seems like again it would be useful for getting your opponent to deck themselves right mm-hmm. but it can also be used on yourself because you are a player hmm I'll put that as one okay uh, can you choose yourself as a target player to get three life? Yes. Looking at this white mana card, interesting. I'll put that as 
No, I'll put the white mana as one, ancestral recall is two. Hmm. See, Lightning Bolt seems too straightforward and plain vanilla to be the best one of this. Like, I can see that there's a metagame happening in some of these other cards. Dark Adding three black mana to your mana pool as an instant seems really good. And is that a permanent? Uh, is, that, is that black mana permanent to your mana pool? No, that's just until the end of the phase of your turn. Mm. So. That's temporary. Oh boy. I will say of, of the five cards I'm looking at, based on my limited knowledge of two sessions of learning from you, Tim, I'll put Healing Salve as one, Ancestral Recall is two, Giant Growth is three, Dark Ritual is four, Lightning Bolt as five. And that's from best to worst? Best to worst. How did I do? Um, well, you kind of did a weird thing where you put the worst at, for number one. The worst for number yep. one. So, gaining three. Break it down for so, me. So, Ancestral Recall, that's the blue one that draws three cards. Uh, mm -hmm. For context, this card is um, pretty much banned in most formats of magic because one mana to draw three cards is very good as they found out in their early testing of the first set um so any card that would let you draw three cards now that is any new cards that come out that would draw three cards uh is generally going to cost you like four or five mana at least so that's a big difference um then there's Dark Ritual, which I would place that as number two or three, or tied for okay. tied for second, because having that, as you said, like having three mana, paying one mana to get three mana is like a, is a good early game like burst of mana. So, mana is important in Magic. So having three mana on the first turn, is going to accelerate you pretty quickly, assuming you have cards to to play um and then lightning bolt is number two is tied for second or third or number three so being able to do three damage to anything so either a creature or a player is pretty good because remember you only have uh 20 life so if you had four copies of lightning bolt in the deck which is the limit uh that's that's 12 damage just from four cards so Mm -hmm. so that's pretty good um, and so you can think of lightning bolt as a way to it can be both a damage to the other player or it can be a, a card that can get that can kill another creature so it's it's versatile there um, and then there's giant growth giant growth they've probably printed the most cop they printed the most versions of that card out of all these five um because it's like the most basic um, kind of card, it's people refer to it as a pump spell, as in that it in that it um, pumps the damage of a creature or something, um, and it's temporary. So you can use it defensively to to 
Like if I use that lightning bolt on one of your creatures, you could play the giant growth to make to give him more toughness, so he'll survive. So mm. it's it's more situational and it's just not as good in general because it doesn't. It's more of like a a trick than it is like this is going to actually help me in the long run, if that makes sense. So you would put healing salve at the bottom. Yep. Break that down for me. So, uh, healing salve is the one that's gives you the option of gaining three life or preventing the next three damage that would be mm-hmm. dealt to a creature or player um, same thing with healing salve it, you're just preventing three damage or you're gaining three life and life is like a common um, saying you'll hear in magic is that life is just a resource so as long as your life isn't at zero you're still good so gaining three life is not much in the grand scheme um so would you say I'm like me putting healing salve at number one is me overvaluing yes. the resource of okay yeah so um, for example black is a color in magic that uses life a lot as a resource so it'll say like pay three life to do th- to draw three cards or something and that's like losing three life is a downside but it's nothing compared to drawing three cards if that makes sense okay. So you need to you need to think of like um, cards are more valuable than uh, mana. Mana is more valuable than life. If you want to rank those three common resources, basically. Interesting. We should do this again uh, next time we revisit magic. You give me five cards, and I'll try to decipher usefulness or yeah. how OP. <laughs> I see you gave me instance this time maybe next time we'll do uh, creatures or planeswalkers or something maybe not planeswalkers because i'm still trying to wrap my head around those yeah well this yeah I've, i thought this was a good idea because these are so wildly different in um power level that uh it's it's interesting to just see like a beginner like try to evaluate them mm-hmm. well we're at we're, we're just about closing in on time here. We had one more segment planned, but uh, maybe we'll save it for next week so that because I didn't realize magic would take us the distance on this one. <laughs> yeah, and there's still Tim, there's still have... a ton that we could go over with magic. Honestly, like people have entire podcasts and everything. Was this the plan the it. entire time, Tim? No, to just get this to become a magic podcast. No, of course, not. we'll we'll let Austria <laughs> talk about pro wrestling for. For five minutes, we'll give them, We'll get forty-five <laughs> minutes of magic podcast going on. You know, there are <laughs> cards that uh, that have some kind of wrestling flavor to them in Magic. So I could show you. Those Tell me one. Um, I don't know any offhand, to be honest. Okay. Actually, you know what? I do. Uh, Goblin pile driver. Goblin pile driver. Yep. <laughs> Let me look him up real quick. I'll have to read them off. Oh, yeah. This is just a goblin choking out a dude. Yep. Protection from blue. Whenever a goblin pile driver attacks, it gets plus two, plus zero until end of turn for each other each other attacking goblin. Ah, so you got to have a... Okay, okay. Well... Stay tuned for next week's episode where maybe there's more magic. Maybe there's more <laughs> pro wrestling discussion. We'll see. Tim, do you have any any closing thoughts before we uh, send this one out? 
any any words of guidance for any newcomers to the magic community um yeah i would say there's plenty of like great resources for learning out there um but like one of the as i said earlier like one of the best ways of learning how to play is just to actually find someone who's experienced and just playing with them um if you can't there's again there's plenty of resources of just learning how to play and there's there's like um uh i guess a pc client or there's also a mobile client of a game called magic arena that lets you play against other people so that's also a possibility for people who want to get into it all right all right so stay tuned and thank you all for listening to uh this week's pod podcast episode of garage lore i am jeff joined by my uh magic the gathering sensei tim and uh we'll see you all next week all right thank you thanks for listening everyone